Thank you, Sharon. Good morning and welcome to our worship service at First Church this morning. I have a few announcements before we start our service. The rose on the altar this morning is in honor of Larry and Karen Niemeyer's 53rd wedding anniversary, which they'll be celebrating on Tuesday, October 23rd. So congratulations to both of you. The children's nursery, which is normally in the basement, is now located behind me to my right in the southwest Sunday school room, and it will be that way for next Sunday also. The asbestos removal has been completed, and all areas of the church have passed the air quality test, so we're all safe this morning. Bell choir practice that was scheduled for this Wednesday, October 24th, has been canceled and is now and it will resume again on uh, next Wednesday, October 31st. Uh, we will be hosting our second annual Trunk or Treat again on this Thursday from 6 to 7.30 p.m. Everyone is invited to fill their trunk with candy or other goodies as we greet the kids as they make their way around town that evening. Anyone who stops by will have candy, hot cider, hot cider, and cookies. And it's almost unbelievable, but it's time for Operation Christmas Child to begin again. In your bulletin today, you'll see information on how to prepare your box, and we encourage everyone to participate. A lot of times that is the only present these kids get at Christmas. So if you can, please participate. Uh, There are other announcements in your bulletin. I'd encourage you to take the time to look them over. And now as we start our service, would you please rise and join me in our call to worship this morning? This morning it is on Psalm 145, verses 1 through 4 and 10 through 11. I will exalt you, my God the King. I will praise your name forever and ever. Every day I will praise you. One generation commends your works to another. They tell of your mighty acts. All your works praise you, Lord. Your faithful people extol you. They tell the glory of your kingdom and speak of your might. My mouth shall speak the praise of the Lord, that all flesh trust his holy name forever and ever. Please continue standing for opening hymn, which is number 535, A Christian Home.
As the children come forward for the children's chat, please take a moment and greet one another. <laughs> all right. Good morning. Are you guys all asleep? Good morning. That's a little bit better. We're a little tired today. That's okay. How's everyone doing? Fine. Good, good. Well, who knows what holidays coming up where you eat a lot of food? Halloween, yes. But you eat a ton of food, not just candy on this holiday. What do you think it is? Do you know? I know the holiday. Yes. Yeah. How many of you get together with your family on Thanksgiving? Who all do you get to see at Thanksgiving? Your grandma? Do you get to see cousins? Yeah. Well, the holidays are a great time for all the members of a family to get together. Grandpas and grandmas, moms and dads, brothers and sisters, aunts and uncles, and lots of lots of cousins. Most of the time, it, it will include playing a lot of games and eating a lot of food. But the main reason for getting together around the holidays is to help family members stay in touch. Do any of you guys have family that you only get to see on Thanksgiving or Christmas? Yeah. Katie. Katie. Mm-hmm. No, not really. Not really. <laughs> well, I do. I my family lives in Michigan and I only get to see them 3 or 4 times a year. And so Christmas and Thanksgiving are very special holidays for me because I get to see all of my family that I don't get to see all the time. Uh, but family is super important to God. And family, God intended for family members to be there for each other, to care for each other in times of need. And family is always there for us. So what are some ways that your family members care for you? How do they help you out? They give you food. Thanks, Mom and Dad, for food. Yep. (laughs) Shelter. Do they help you when you're not feeling good? Yeah. Yeah. Do they love you even when you make mistakes? Yeah, yeah, family's awesome. Um, But you might not realize it, but when we put our faith in Jesus, we become a part of another family. We become a part of the family of Christ. And when we become a part of God's family, in our Bible reading today, Jesus looked at a group of people seated around him and said, See my mother and my brothers. Whoever does God's will is my brother, sister, and mother. When we put our faith in Jesus, we become a part of a body of believers, a family of believers. So everyone in the church right now, we're all family if we have our faith in Jesus Christ. So just as the members of our earthly family have a responsibility to love and care for another, we as a church body, as a church family, have a responsibility to show that love to each other as well. So what are some ways that we can show love to our church family and our family at home? How can you show love to people? What about pray for the, what about pray for the people who are sick? Can do that. Pray for poor people? Yeah, absolutely. What about maybe holding the door open for someone or smiling at someone and just saying, have a great day? Those little things go a long way. So family is important to God. And as family members, we all have the responsibility to love and care for each other. So this week, I want you guys to look for ways that you can show love to your family members at home, okay? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for our families. We thank you uh, that they are always there for us and that they care for us and love us, Lord. God, I ask this week that you would help us to show that love and care for our family as well. 
We love you so much, and we ask that you would be with us as we go from this place. Amen. Lost in the last week in our service, Guantanamo Bay, Cuba, Private First Class Matthew Cox, 19, from Lyon, Iowa, and in Guam, Machinist Mate Nuclear Third Class Zahir R. Hakim, 20, from Buckeye, Arizona. Good morning. Let's lift up those concerns and others that are on our hearts today to the Lord. Father, we thank you so much uh, that you are a God who, who meets us here and who cares deeply about your family, your children, and, the, and your creation in this world. Lord, I ask that you would be with those families who have lost loved ones recently, not only those names that Jay just shared with us, uh, but also families in our own community, in our own area that have recently experienced loss. We pray for your spirit to comfort them. Uh, we pray that you would uh, bring peace, Lord, in, in situations that seem unpeaceful. Uh, we pray for joy in situations that are very difficult and hard. Um, and Lord, when those things happen, we know they can only come from you. And so we ask for your presence to be made known to those who are experiencing loss and hurt this morning. Uh, Lord, as we begin this new series on family, we also ask for your uh, blessings to be on our families, Lord. Uh, we ask for your wisdom and guidance as we navigate life together. And we ask for your uh, glory and your presence to be made known even in those situations. Lord, we acknowledge that family is hard. And there are oftentimes there is hurt and there are wounds there. And so we ask for reconciliation and healing as well uh, for those who are going through difficult times. Lord, there's a lot of names that are represented in our bulletin under the prayers and concerns list. We do ask for your guidance and your care in those situations. We ask for healing for people who are in need of it. Uh, we ask for your provision for those who, who are lacking. And we ask in all things uh, your love and your glory uh, to be made known and your gospel to go forth from this church and, and through in and through our own lives. And so we ask, Lord, that you would work and that you would... Um, Accomplish your will like only you can. And we ask that you would do all these things, Lord, in, in, in ways that go beyond our own understanding and beyond our own, uh, our own will, uh, but, Lord, that are, that are in line with yours. We ask these things in Christ's name, who taught us to pray, saying, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. And forgive us our debts, as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, the power, and the glory forever. Amen. Amen. Those helping with our offering, I come forward at this time as our choir blesses us with special music this morning.
Let's pray together. Father, we are so grateful and so thankful for all that you have done for us. And so as we give back to you this morning, as we take what you have blessed us with and given to us, uh, we ask that you would receive these gifts uh, with thanksgiving, Lord. Uh, we thank you and that we are able to be stewards of the resources that you have blessed us with. And as we, as we give these offerings to you, Lord, we ask that your will would be done with them and that you would use them to provide for the ministry of this church and the advancement of your kingdom in this community and across the world. We thank you for all these things in Christ's name. Amen. Amen. Now I invite you who are able to stand and let's join in singing number 29, Glorify Thy Name. invite you to continue standing and please turn uh, in your Bibles to the book of Mark. Today's scriptures come from chapter 3, verses 20 through 21 and verses 31 through 35. Then Jesus entered a house and again a crowd gathered so that he and his disciples were not even able to eat. When Jesus's family heard about this, they went to take charge of him for they said he is out of his mind. Then Jesus's mother and brothers arrived. Standing outside, they sent someone in to call him. A crowd was sitting around him, and they told him, Your mother and brothers are outside looking for you. Who are my mother and my brothers, he asked. Then he looked at those seated in a circle around him and said, Here are my mother and my brothers. Whoever does God's will is my brother and sister and mother. Please be seated. Thanks, Adam. Let's pray together again. Father, we are so grateful that we get to gather as your people, as your family, 
uh, to worship you, to give you praise, uh, to lift up our prayers, and now uh, to turn to your word and, uh, and look at what it has to say for us this morning. I pray that you would open up all of our hearts and minds to, to that message that you have for us and that you'd give me words to speak today. It's in Christ we pray. Amen. So today we're going to be starting the, it's the beginning of a new sermon series. Uh, we are going to be talking about family and the importance of family, um, not only in our own lives, but also in the life of the church and how, how what we know about family, what, what God's word teaches about family, uh, impacts and changes how we view those earthly relationships, but also how they impact and view our relationships to one another as brothers and sisters in Christ as part of the family of God. And in preparation for this series, I, I read a few books. There's a lot out there, of course, that uh, has to do with family and how we view family as Christians. And, and there's a lot to choose from. And I settled on a, a couple books that I thought would really um, kind of hit home the points that I was, that I was trying to make and, and the direction I was trying to go. And, and uh, in reading these two books side by side really uh, enlightened me because they took very, two very different perspectives on family and faith. Um, not that either one of them were bad or wrong, but they just came from two different points of view. Uh, one of these books uh, talked about how family is this wonderful thing and how, how if you, in essence, if you just do these three, four, five, six things, family will be perfect. There'll be so much joy. Everybody will be happy. Everything will be fine. And it will be, you know, all to the glory of God. Uh, and then the other book talked about how family is hard. Family is difficult. You're going to experience hardship and pain and suffering, but God is able to work in and through that all to the glory of God. And it was interesting to read these books side by side because it seemed like such a, such a contrast and there was something to be gleaned from both of them. But I think the reality is that second book uh, really hits a lot closer to home for most of us, doesn't it? The reality that family is hard, that we go through very difficult experiences that sometimes those who are the closest to us sometimes hurt us the most. That there is suffering, there is uh, difficulty that we experience as part of those relationships, whether they're with our parents or with our siblings or with our children or extended family. I think the experience for most of us is that our, our families are not happy-go-lucky, perfect, that image of the, you know, married with 2.2 kids and a white picket fence, right? That's not most of our experience with family. And I want to stand here today, and I think the reason why it's so important for us to talk about this is because, because we often feel guilt or shame because our experience with our family is not what we expect it or think it should be. But I want to talk today and, and going forward about the reality of what family is truly like, that sometimes there are difficulties we experience. Sometimes there are hardships that we go through as a family. And the, and the reality is that that God is able to work in and through that. And the re, I, I, if you notice, I entitled this uh, series in the sermon, The Cross-Shaped Family, The Cross-Shaped Home, because I think when we look at family in light of the cross, when we look at family in light of what the gospel truly tells us, that's going to transform how we view our family and how we view ourselves. And that doesn't mean everything's going to be perfect. That doesn't mean everything's going to be easy and, and, and we're going to have that family of 2.2 kids and white picket fence but it means that we are going to be able to faithfully handle the problems and the, and the situations that we come across and, and give God glory in the midst of that. And so, and so I hope that you are willing to uh, dive into this with me um, because it's not always going to be easy. 
These are going to be sometimes maybe difficult uh, conversations or difficult things to hear, but I think they are what God needs, uh, wants us to hear and what we need to hear from him because family is difficult and family is messy at times, but it's worth it. And that's what we're going to be talking about today. I uh, do think that um, it's interesting. Uh, I was not expecting, we have a couple of guests with us, and I don't mean to like single you guys out or anything, but I think it's funny that uh Talking about family, I had some visitors from back home and in western New York, well now Pennsylvania for you guys, um, that I was not expecting to see. They just showed up 15 minutes before the service of all things. And so I'm so happy you guys are here, but they know my family, so try to avoid them uh, after the service. Uh, they know my, even as far back as my grandpa and my dad, like, they know, they know all about it, so. But no, in reality, thank you guys for being here, and, and if you do get a chance, say hi to them. Um, they were in Ohio for other reasons and made the trip here to surprise us, so glad you guys are here. Um, but family is hard, and, and even the, even the, the, the quote-unquote best families um, do suffer from hardship and difficulties, um, and the important thing to do is, is to address them in light of the cross, and so that's what we hope to do today. And so I've already alluded, but the first point I want to I wanna bring up today, and, and the first thing that we need to acknowledge when we talk about family is that it is hard. Family is hard. It is difficult. Um, and, the re- and, and there's a lot of reasons we can go into that for that, but I think there's two things we need to, to highlight. And, and one is on a more practical level. When you talk about family, we're talking about um, sinners in close proximity to one another. Right, The reality of the gospel is that we have all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. The author of Ecclesiastes puts it another way. In Ecclesiastes chapter 7, verse 20, he says, Indeed, there is no one on earth who is righteous, no one who does what is right, excuse me, no one who does what is right and never sins. You know, that's, that's just the reality of the world that we live in. We've all been affected by the fall. We've all had that sin nature ingrained in us. And so whenever you start putting more than one person in a room, you're going to have conflict. You're going to have problems arise out of that sin. Now, that's not an excuse for sinful behavior, right? It's not a, a cop-out answer. It's just the reality of life. Sin creates friction. Sin creates problems. And, and when you start living in close, pro- close proximity with other sinners, you're going to have issues and difficulties arise out of that. Um, some things are simply beyond our control. Sometimes we make poor decisions that affect our family. Um, but the reality is that those decisions and those sin, that sin in our lives does have a negative impact on our family. And, and the scripture is very clear that, that sin is something that we struggle with from the very time we are born. Psalm 51, verses 5 and 6. David, reflecting on his own sin with Bathsheba, uh, confessing his sin to the Lord, says, Surely I was sinful at birth, sinful from the time my mother conceived me. Yet you desired faithfulness even in the womb. You taught me wisdom in that secret place. You know, even, even our precious little children, right, are tainted by sin, are affected by the reality of sin in this world. And we often think of children as these innocent little bundles of joy, right? But I have a four-year-old and a nine-month-old coming on, and I can tell you that they are affected by sin just like everybody else in the world, right? Any parent, anyone who works with children can attest to that. You know, there's nothing more self-centered or selfish in the entire world than a baby who's hungry, right? The world revolves around them in that moment. 
You know, we're all affected by pride. We're all affected by, by, um, by our own sinfulness. And that is true from, from the time we are born all the way to the time we die. That's just the reality of, of living in a broken and sinful world and the reality that, that we are, even as Christians, affected by sin and its consequences. And so family is hard because we are affected by each other's choices and we're affected by the sin that takes place in our lives. Um, but I think on an even more uh, profound and a deeper level, we're affected by, uh, excuse me, family is hard because we're affected by the reality of spiritual warfare. And I know I'm going to say that, and I know it's going to sound maybe strange to some of your ears, but I think the reality is that the enemy doesn't want families to thrive. The enemy doesn't want families to be in the positions where they're growing um, closer together, where they're growing in Christ. God has a lot to teach us about about himself and in the, his church and his people through our families, and we'll get to that in a moment. But then, and because that's such an important thing, because that's such a primary teaching tool for God in our own lives, I believe the enemy wants to disrupt that the best that he can. And we need to look no further than, than the garden to see that reality. Genesis chapter 2 and 3, right? God created the heavens and the earth. He formed this garden. He formed man and he formed woman in his image. And he placed them in the garden. And before sin entered the world in Genesis 2, it says that they were both naked and they felt no shame. That was the first family, Adam and Eve. They were, they were formed for each other. They were put in that relationship to each other by God. And, uh, and there was this moment of time before sin entered the world where there was no brokenness in that relationship. Right? There was no shame. There was no guilt. There was nothing affecting them. They were able to, as, as Scripture puts it, be naked and feel no shame, which is alluding to the fact that there was no guilt, nothing there to, to drive a wedge or barrier between them. But the moment that sin entered the world, those relationships were distorted and broken. Their relationship with God, which we often focus on when we talk about the fall, right? Their, their relationship with God was broken as a result of their decisions to disobey. But their relationship with each other was also affected. That first family relationship was destroyed, was, was distorted as a result of sin. And we see that continuing, that pattern continuing to be the reality today. I believe that. I believe that the enemy is real and that he does not want our families to be uh, close and successful. And so it's, uh, it's family life is then hard. Now, I do want to clarify, that doesn't mean that every th- single thing that goes wrong is it immediately caused by the enemy, right? I have a, a, a friend, I should say, from uh, my church growing up back home, uh, sweet, sweet guy, but he was a... He had a mental disability, and so he never had the, even though he was, I think, about five or so years older than me, um, he never had the mental capacity of, of, of someone older than, say, I think, five or six years old. Um, so he was functioning, but he just had a very low uh, low IQ and very, very low uh, maturity level. And so he was always welcome to the church. Everybody loved him. Um, great guy. But he, always, he would always try to pull tricks on people, you know, like a five or six-year-old does, like tap people on the shoulder during church or make maybe some inappropriate noises um, and things like that. And, and everybody would look at him, and he would always, his response was always, the devil made me do it, right? The devil made me do it. wasn't my fault, right? And, and a lot of us go through life that way with that same perspective, right? Anything that goes wrong, we say, well, it was the devil's fault. You make a bad decision. Well, the devil made me do it, Right? And that, I think, more than often, more often than not is, is a cop-out, right? There, the enemy does have an influence in this world, and he does want to see us fail as, as followers of Christ. He does want to see us 
um, see our families and other important relationships uh, distorted and broken because of the, the sinfulness of the fall. But not every bad decision can be blamed on him. Right? There's a sign I saw once that everything happens for a reason, and sometimes the reason is you're stupid and you make bad decisions. Right? <laughs> That's just the reality of the world we live in, and that falls under that first category of our human sinfulness. But there is an enemy at work, and I do believe he does want to see our families fail. And he does want to see that those relationships that can be so crucial in our, our own identity formation and our own walk with Christ um, become distorted by sin. Uh, and the reality is the Bible doesn't shy away from this truth. The Bible doesn't shy away from the fact that families are hard. Uh, we, we often think of, of Christians as, right, we want to have family values, and we think of the Bible as, as this... Um, as a way for us to, to, to truly live out what it means to be family. But over and over again, especially in the Old Testament, where families are talked about more than in the New Testament, we see that, that the example is that people often fell short of what God desired out of, out of our families. And we see that over and over again, starting from Abraham. Right? Abraham lied in, regarding Sarah in order to save his own skin and, and put her in a compromising position as he was traveling around in foreign lands. Right, he lied and said that she was his sister and she was taken into the king's harem um, and put in a compromising situation. And so there is an example of, of a husband and wife and their family not uh, being affected by sin. Uh, Jacob, Abraham's grandson, experienced family tension and rivalry from having children of four different women and the, and the rivalry, the sibling rivalry that came out of that. King David, the wonderful King David, committed adultery covered it up with murder, had multiple wives, and had rebellious children because he was an absent father. Solomon, David's son, had hundreds of wives that the Scripture says led his heart astray to worship foreign gods. So what we see over and over again in Scripture is not perfect families in perfect situations, but we, we see the reality of what family life is affected by sin. We see the reality that our decisions, our sinful decisions, have consequences that affect f- people far beyond us and sometimes far beyond even our own immediate family. So family life is messy. And we even see that in Jesus' family here in this passage that Adam read for us a few minutes ago. You know, you think if anybody's going to have a perfect family, it's going to be Jesus, right? Of course, Jesus would have a perfect family. But we see here, as he, as he began his ministry uh, his family didn't really know what to think of him. And so Mark chapter 3, as Jesus is speaking to a crowd, um, he was becoming so popular that, that these large crowds would gather around him. And it got to the point where so many people were there that, that you couldn't even get to Jesus. And so his family shows up, and it, and it says that they were worried about him, his mother and his brothers, because they thought he was out of his mind. They thought he had gone off the deep end. And so they show up and they try to bring him home, right? Try to kind of sweep him under the rug and, and pretend like that problem doesn't exist. And so we see, and we'll talk here in, and again in a moment, what, how Jesus responds to that situation. But even, even Jesus dealt with misunderstandings in the family. Even Jesus dealt with um, the reality of, of, of dysfunction in his own family. There's only one perfect family we see in Scripture, and that's the one I already mentioned, Adam and Eve. And they didn't remain perfect for long. They continued. Uh, as a result of their sin, we see that relationship being distorted and corrupted. And so to really understand what God wants out of our families, what God desires for our families, we need to first acknowledge that family is hard. 
We need to acknowledge that, that our families aren't perfect and they never will be. And that's not an easy thing to come to grips with. And that's not something that is easily um, talked about or easily acknowledged. Um, and so I think it's important for, for me maybe to, to acknowledge this and, and, uh, and, and set that example for you. You know, I, I've, I know I've shared it with some of you, but uh, I have an older brother that I haven't seen or talked to in 10 years. You know, he's, you know, for various reasons that I don't need to go to from the pulpit, um, you know, he has, he has separate, you know, he has, he has distance from the family. Um, you know, he's never met my wife, never met my children. And that's not an easy thing to talk about. And that's not an easy thing uh, to deal with. But it's the reality of family. And I share that with you not to, like, ask for your pity or not anything like that, but to show you and to demonstrate to you that, that we all have stuff. Every family has skeletons in the closet, right? We all struggle with things. Some of you maybe are, are separated from loved ones, like, like is the situation in my family. Uh, maybe you've gone through pretty painful experiences, um, maybe of your own doing or maybe of, as a result of a family member doing something to you. Maybe just you have simple, normal dysfunction <laughs> and family get-togethers are not easy to be a part of. Right, whatever your issue is, know that you're not alone. Family is hard. But we're here to say today that family is worth it too. It's worth fighting for. It's worth investing in. And that's because God uses family. He instituted the family in order to teach us something about himself. And so it's in the context of family that we, that we learn about who we are, not only in our sinfulness and our brokenness, but who we are in Christ as a result of what he's done for us. I believe it's within the context of a family that, that real discipleship takes place. All right, we, have, uh, we have church services for an hour a week, and if you go to Sunday school, then you throw another hour. Maybe, maybe you're involved in, in, your kids are involved in a youth group, or you're involved in a midweek Bible study, then you throw another hour on top of that. Even with being involved in those three main kind of functions of the church, that's still only three hours out of the week that you are, you are committed or your children are committed to, to the ministry here. There's a lot more hours in the week than that. And most of them are spent either like at school or work with your family. And so it's in, in that context of family, the people that you are the closest with, that I believe God uses that to grow us and to mature us, hopefully into his image. But he uses those experiences and he uses those people around us to teach us about himself. And we see a few things that I want to just kind of highlight to set the, set the stage for us going forward in our sermon series here. And the first is that, that God reveals that he himself is relational. In Genesis, again, referring to the creation account back in Genesis chapter 1, verses 26 through 27. It says, Then God said, Let us make mankind in our image. In our likeness, so that they may rule over the fish and the sea and the birds in the sky, over the livestock and all the wild animals, and over the creatures that move along the ground. And so God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. Notice from the very first moment of creation, God desired to make mankind in his own image. And how did he make them? Male and female. Made to be in relationship with each other. Just like God has always been and always will be in relationship as the, as the triune God, right? Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. From the, from, from 
before creation and, and forever into eternity. God is in relationship with himself, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And so part of what it means to be made in the image of God is to be made into relationships, to be relational people. And so we, we see that relationship exemplified in a lot of different ways, not just husband and wife, but, but parents and children, among siblings, among close friends that are, that are sometimes closer than our family, and especially also in his church. We're called to be in relationship with each other and, to, and to, to rely on each other and to help each other grow into the image of Christ. Uh, the second thing we see, learn about God and, and, and what he reveals to himself about family is, is the ability to love one another. In 1 John chapter 3, verse 1, the apostle writes, See what great love the Father has lavished on us, that we should be called children of God. And that is what we are. The reason the world does not know us is that it did not know him. What love the Father has lavished on us that we should be called children of God. We've been accepted and adopted into his family the moment we put our trust in Christ. We've been brought into his family. And we often learn what love is through those first family relationships that we have from our parents, from our siblings, from our grandparents. Now, I do have to, to throw a caveat out there that sometimes that love that we learn is, is, is I should say, is always incomplete compared to the love that God has for us. But it still gives us a glimpse. As much as, as, much as you love your children, parents, as much as, as grandparents you love your grandkids, children, as much as you think you love your parents, that still pales into comparison with how much God loves you. But it gives us a picture. It gives us a glimpse into the love that God has for us. And finally, in family, we're able to experience what grace truly looks like. In Matthew chapter 6, Jesus teaches his disciples the Lord's Prayer. And we, we recite this, and we've already done it today. We recite this every week together. And, and I know many of you, you know, as part of your normal prayer uh, life at home, recite the Lord's Prayer. It's so familiar and has been for, for generations uh, of people. And we often end the prayer, uh, you know, with, and, and yours is the kingdom and the glory forever and ever. Amen. And we, and we cut it off there. But if you were to turn in your Bibles to Matthew chapter 6, where the Lord's Prayer is found, you see that Jesus, he, he doesn't end, he, he kind of continues there. It's not part of the prayer, but it's a comment on the prayer. In Matthew chapter 6, verses 14 and 15, he says, For if you forgive other people when they sin against you, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their sins... You will not, the Father will not forgive your sins. And I think there's no better place to learn that reality and to practice that reality of grace, of forgiveness, than within the context of family. As I mentioned before, often those that are the closest to us are the ones that can hurt us the deepest. Right? Because they know what buttons to press. They know, they know what, how to, how to twist that knife just right to, to, to make the most pain out of a decision or choice. And so it's those people that can have the potential to hurt us the most that we also have the potential to forgive the most. The ones that we have the most potential to experience, to receive, and to give grace. And so family is one of the, one of the contexts that we're able to experience that in. So we experience that within our families that God is relational, God is, is love, and, and we experience God's grace and are able to extend that to others. Family reflects the relationship 
with God, albeit poorly at times, as I've already alluded to. In, in our relationship with God, we see him as father. In our relationship with each other in the church, we see each other as brothers and sisters in Christ. We talk about that. The scriptures talk about that all the time. Everyone has family. Our earthly families are, are a reflection of what God has for us. Let's take a moment and pray, why don't we? Father, we pray for our sister. We pray uh, that you would be with her. Um, Lord, we don't, we don't know, but you do. And so we, we lift her up to you and we pray for your healing hand to be upon her. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. And so family, is, family reflects that relationship we have with God. We, we learn about God through those relationships. But, but I want to encourage you today to remember that, that uh, don't, don't judge God based on the relationships that you have with your earthly family. Right? We, we, learn, we, we learn about fathers from our earthly father. We learn about our brothers and sisters in Christ from our earthly, uh, earthly parents, our earthly siblings. But those relationships are all impacted and affected by sin. And so as great as your earthly parents are, as great as your earthly family is, they're never going to be perfect. And, and, so, and so we can't judge God or we can't project those things about God onto uh, those things about our families, excuse me, those things about our families onto God like uh, we, we often can do. And so our earthly families can teach us a lot about God, but they're not perfect. Our families are affected by sin, but God is not. I want us to also remember that everyone has a family. You know, I've been talking a lot about the importance of parents and children and brothers and sisters and husbands and wives and all that stuff today. But, but even if you're sitting here and you're single, if you're sitting here and you've never been married or you're a widow or a widower or you've gone through divorce or you've lost loved ones that are no longer able to be here with you, you still have a family. If not an earthly family, as, as Tori and Morgan talked about, we have the family of God to rely on. So that even if you have gone through those other, other difficult moments of life, even if you have lost loved ones for whatever reason, we have the family of God to rely on. And it's, and it's through that family, it's through our relationship with God that we are brought into that family. And God uses that to, to bless us and to teach us and to grow us. And sometimes to fill in those gaps that are missing. We often think of, when we talk about families, we, we, we do so sometimes at the neglect or at, you know, leaving out those people in situations that don't fit into our typical understanding of family. And I want, if, if those are, if you are in that situation today for whatever reason, know that you are loved and welcomed and, and a part of this family, even if you have nowhere else to turn. And so we ask that, that you would, um, be able to, to learn and grow as we've been talking about as part of this family as well. We see that reflected, that truth reflected in 1 Timothy chapter 5, verses 1 through 2. If you'd like to turn there with me. Speaking to the church there, speaking to Timothy who is leading a church, Paul says, Do not rebuke an older man harshly, but exhort him as if you were, he were your father. 
Treat younger men as brothers, older women as mothers, and younger women as sisters with absolute purity. In other words, we should view each other as brothers and sisters in Christ as part of the family and to, be, and to treat each other as such. So finally, I want to close today by reminding us then, the family is hard, but it's worth it. And in the end, it's worth it because our faith, what Christ has done for us, transforms our family. The gospel reminds us that, that there's something wrong with us, that we have all been affected by sin, and that's what makes family hard. But the gospel also reminds us that God has redeemed it. That God has made things right through the blood of Christ, through the cross. And so even though we go through those difficult experiences, even though we family is hard and we often struggle, we can know that God can even bring good and glory out of that. See, the pattern of the cross, as, as Russell Moore says in his book, The Storm-Tossed Family, is, is crucified glory. That there's healing, that there's joy, and that there's hope, even in the midst of suffering, because God has redeemed it and God can make all things new. See, that's the hope that we have, that, that as we talk about our families and our struggles and the relationships that are sometimes broken there, we know that God can redeem it. God can bring hope. God can bring restoration and reconciliation in that. And God can bring peace in the midst of loss and joy in the midst of suffering. And it's all because he's already done it for us on the cross. And we need to remember then to keep our focus on him. We need to remember that, that to truly love our families like we should, to truly be the husband or the wife or the parent or the child or the grandparent that we're called to be, we need to, we need to put Christ first in front of our families. You see, we have the tendency, we have a struggle that we often can, can idolize our families. And that's a hard thing to come to grips with. Sometimes we put our families in a position that only God deserves. And, the, and, there's, and there's reasons that, that that's never going to turn out well. One of them is because cause our families can't live up to the expectations that we place on them when we put them in the position that only God deserves. We will crush them and they will crush us under the weight of our expectations if we try to find all of our purpose and meaning and hope in our families. And second, when we, when we learn to love God like we're called to, when we learn to put God first and His his cross first, then we know we're free to truly love our families like we're called to do. Because when we idolize them, we can't, we can't love them because we, we're putting them under too much pressure. But when we put God first, when we seek his kingdom first, when we, when we love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, strength, and mind first, then we're truly able to love our families like we should. Because God will fill us with his love. God will give us peace and patience and hope when we are sorely in need of it. And we'll be able to extend that love and that grace to our families. I want to close with a, with a quote from this book uh, by Russell Moore. Talking about the importance of, of putting Christ first. He says, if we seek first the kingdom, we are better able to seek the welfare of our families. If we love Jesus more than family, we are free to love our families more than we ever thought, whatever could have otherwise. If we give up our suffocating grasp on our family, whether that's our idyllic view of our family in the now, our nostalgia for the family of long ago, our scars from family wounds, or our worries for our family's future, we are then free to be family, starting with our place in the new creation family of the church.
Let's pray together. Father, we are so thankful for your word. We're thankful for, uh, that you've placed us into the family of God. And I pray that you would help grow us and shape us into your people. And that reality may be reflected in our own individual families as well. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. I invite you to stand in closing and sing number 283, We Are God's People. Father, thank you for the words that you spoke through Joel, Lord. Thank you for reminding us that family is hard and that it's worth it. Amen. Go in peace.